Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Kathy Malone. Kathy gained a master's degree in science teaching and instructional science. In 1995, she took her first course in physics modeling at ASU. She taught physics using modeling at both the high school and college levels, and she's been leading physics modeling workshops since 1998. She earned a PhD from Carnegie Mellon University in physics education based on research on physics modeling at the high school level. After teaching 30 years at the high school level, she moved to the college level in 2014. Her research focused on curriculum development and research in modeling, but she shifted her focus to biology modeling, which at the time was in its infancy. She has also taught graduate level education in Kazakhstan for several years. In 2022, she found her way to the University of Hawaii at Hilo in the Physics and Astronomy Department, where she currently uses modeling techniques in her classes. Here's my conversation with Kathy. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing? Oh, hi. Uh, doing fine. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today about all the experiences around modeling that you've had. You, uh, As I looked into what you've been about over the years, it's been really fascinating to see uh, how your research has unfolded and, and all the research that you've done. Mm-hmm. I was blown away when I saw that you had published uh, like 69 articles or something that oh, was based it, in research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you gave me a link. Um, to a, a website called ResearchGate. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and I was blown away by all the stuff you'd been involved with. And so we'll talk a little bit about that in, in our conversation today. Your profile was really fascinating to me, the quantity and the quality of the research papers. I read a few. I read all the titles and read a couple of the, the posts. It oh, was really? very cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much so, for coming. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to have uh, found out about you. I so I think we'll start out with me just asking you how did you first get in, uh introduced to the idea of modeling? I know you took a workshop uh oh several years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was it 98 or something? Um, I can't remember. It was um 1995. Yeah. 1995. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, Larry Dukrich uh, was the lead on it, um, mm-hmm. and Jeff Steiner, I think, was the co-lead, mm-hmm. I think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was the first initial one from their initial NSF grant that uh, Hestonese wrote um, right. back in the day. Yes. Yeah, so at the time I was a high school teacher um, uh, teaching physics in Pennsylvania. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, so I, I you know... I had seen the the uh, article um, by uh, Hestonese, I think, at the time in um, Wells, 
mm-hmm. that showed that he had a lot of uh, large increase in um, his FCI scores. Because I was always wondering, I, you know, I was using inquiry-oriented methods and projects and et cetera, and uh, students just uh, did not do well in the FCI, you know, post-test-wise. Um, so there wasn't a whole bunch of gain, uh, small amounts, but not a whole bunch. Um, so, uh, so when that opportunity came up for the modeling, it was like, oh, maybe I should uh, see what this is all about, you know, and see if there's mm-hmm. anything um, different going on there. Um, so that's how, why I did that. Yeah, so it was a five-week workshop, uh, three summers. Wow. Five, five and, well, actually, the third summer, I think they, they, scrunched, they squanched it down from five to, like, two or something like that. So. Yeah, it's it's actually, I think, reasonably a bit more. It's about a two-week workshop. Yeah. Some follow-up, a little bit of follow-up, and they're trying to figure out ways to, to give teachers a little more. But yeah. it's hard, you know. Teachers yeah. are busy. Yeah, <laughs> they, they are. Yeah, it's that was hard it. for them to get away for workshops, you know. No, so, I agree. And, it's, and especially when they lost the funding from the NSF. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were teaching uh, physics at that time yes mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about how the the workshop changed your approach in the classroom well um actually uh what was kind of interesting it's a it's a initially it was just a tweaking of sorts because hmm. um i could find because modeling is an inquiry-based constructivist oriented practice anyway and that's what mm-hmm. i had been doing um hmm. but what modeling did was showed that, you know, just because we can see links uh, between representations and we can see the representations, if we don't actually, or if we're not explicit about that with the students um, and, and help the, and guide the students into making those connections between um, the representations, they, they don't see it, right? Um, right. As novices normally do. They, they, they just don't see it. So it was... Um, because most of the labs at that time, I, I don't, I haven't really looked at the newest. I know they're always updating the curriculum, so I haven't looked at the newest one since I'm not teaching in high school uh, currently. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the labs were very basic labs that most people had already done, right? And I think that was on purpose uh, to make people feel comfortable because it's like, oh, I've already done this lab, right? Right, right. <laughs> and uh, so now we're talking about doing this other stuff in addition to the lab, and it was like, okay, so that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so I was kind of a quite surprised by seeing how my students um, interacted with that information once they started making aha moments in class, even as they were, you know, writing about it in their journals or talking about it in front of class. And there was like, you'd ask a question, like, how do you know that? And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, because this, well, and then halfway in between, they would say, well, wait a second, that's wrong, because that has to connect to this graph over here. And it's what I'm just saying just didn't. So Uh that must mean that, oh, this is happening at this point, you know. So, um, yeah, so those are, those are the, that's the main uh, focus that I saw that was, uh, that was different about modeling. And, and being able to talk about physics in terms of big ideas, which at at the time is what my school, I think, was doing, big ideas. And that's basically what a model is. It's a big idea, right? So it's basically the goal at the end, right? That you would know what this model is, what these representations are. And that you can go ahead and use that in many different contexts, right? Yeah. Um, over the years, uh, it's interesting how that has changed. But initially, that's that's what it was. And I saw big gains in my FCI scores um, the very first year, uh, and you know they continued on after that. And and I and I noticed as David Hesney's told me once, I said, "Oh man, you know these FCI scores went really down." 
And he said, well, what, what happened last year? And I said, oh, well, you know, this happened. Like my daughter was, you know, diagnosed with you know, type 1 diabetes and what a, he said, ah, he said, so um, you were kind of busy with lots of other stuff. And I said, yeah. He said, oh, so you probably dropped the ball in a couple places. And I said, it's probably right, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you can only do so much and, and task orientation is a little bit difficult sometimes when family and everything else comes into play. Sure. So, um, because yeah. the devil's in the details, you know, the devil's in the Absolutely. details. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say, or, or I know it's you've been doing this for a long time, but before you were teaching using modeling methodologies, is there something that you wish you would have known before you got introduced to modeling and discovered it? Um, I think um, the whole idea of novice and experts and how experts go about teaching something and how and how novice hear what the experts are saying um, that really was never ever discussed much in my training as a teacher and in no pre-service education back before you know before modeling um, and so we as experts have a tendency to jump past different ideas um, and not explain it to the students and you get totally you know it's like oh okay uh, so I don't understand what you just said because I have no clue as how you went from this step to this step because you're not breaking it down into enough detail for me to follow right um, huh. and it's an interesting you know so that I think would be something that would have been if, uh, would have been helpful uh, because it allows you to think about how to um, speak to students because our students come to the classroom no matter what level they're at um, high school undergraduate um, and they're basically novice you know and so how, how do you actually help them um, you know again make those connections between what you do as an expert and what they do right so how do you talk them through it right but I didn't learn that until my PhD program and uh, and has these actually I think uh, during one of those workshops uh, five weeks in Arizona I think somebody came in and talked to us about it um, at yeah. one point in time too yeah yeah he's a brilliant man yes he is he's, he's quite amazing David is yeah. so if you were talking to somebody who's a, a teacher a new, newer teacher or someone who has not been in, introduced to modeling how would you what would you say to encourage them to get to a workshop and get started with it. Is there something that you would encourage those who have not been initiated well, to do? Well, you know, I would suggest that they, you know, um, you know, look at just giving your SCI scores, you know, pre and post for one thing. If you have not hmm. ever done that, when you do that, it can be a little bit humbling, right? Hmm. Because you think, hmm. oh, okay, I, I'm doing a pretty good job. Kids enjoy the class. The kids do well on the whatever they do SATs or whatever they do at the school or something um, and then you get the FCI scores back and it's like whoa um, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's pretty d disappointing um, and uh, so that makes you kind of reflective right um, and so yeah. you know if that's happening then um, what you know maybe you want to take some steps towards that um, even if it's maybe even just trying out some modeling uh, units in your own classroom. Uh, I mean, a couple hmm. uh, people that, because I did a lot of workshops back in the day uh, for um, high school teachers, and I, I remember a couple of them had come to the workshop because because of just that, actually. They had lower FCI scores. They tried some of the um, uh, units that were available online at the time, 
and they did not see changes in their uh, FCI scores. So mm-hmm. it was like, let me come to a workshop to see what am I missing? Because it goes back to it, the devil's in the details. So you can read about it, but the devil's yeah. in the details and how you actually talk to the students and what you're doing in the class and what you're having the students talk to each other about, right? And those mm-hmm. questions you ask and how you ask them um, are they seem they seem pretty uh, easy because I, I remember in the workshops I used to always say the first two questions you always want to ask is how do you know that and why do you think that you know ne- never answer a question they ask you something well it's just like well what do you think you know why do you think <laughs> it um, uh, so never try to answer their questions right away um, and those are very powerful questions that um, make students really think about things right and hopefully yeah. make them reflect upon their own understanding but yeah it's it's hard. Uh, you know, because it's a big commitment, especially if you have to leave your family and stuff for a summer to go for one or two weeks, you know. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I sometimes I wonder about online, because I know they did a lot of online ones. They're still doing a lot of online ones. So it's difficult. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But everyone I've talked to says it's so worth it when you do, if you are able to go, you know. So yeah. Yeah. It's encouraging. So yeah. I read, you, you said that teaching science is like a jazz performance yes and i thought that was fascinating (laughs) statement can you explain what you were meaning by that well i'm from nola um i'm not a jazz musician new orleans Orleans. yeah Yeah. Uh, so jazz is a big part of my growing up yeah and Uh um so in a jazz performance uh one person um plays some chords right and from that, someone else picks up, right? And then they mm-hmm. move across, right? So teaching, especially modeling, is very much a jazz performance to me because what it is is that it's not me. It's the whole class, right? So we're performing together, um, hmm. trying to reach a goal. Um, and while I might say something and ask a question of one student, the, the idea is the perfect, the, the classes that were like when you leave and you say, whoa, that was a good class. That's when I've maybe only asked a couple questions and the other students are picking up from what other uh, people have said, right? So that's the reason sure. why I think of it as a jazz performance, because if you can get that to click, um, like some good jazz performances do, um, that's that's when everything starts gelling and the students are actually t- talking about what they did. And, um, and at that point, the conductors no longer need it, right? So then you can step right. out of the room, you know? Right. And that, that was the goal that, you know, Huh. That's just, a fascinating. Uh, that's a fascinating take. I when when I read it, I thought, huh. Y- you didn't say this, but I was thinking, as a teacher, you have to learn to improvise, also. Yes. Which yeah. is a strong part of jazz performance is improvisation. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm sure you've thought about that a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember uh, <laughs> um, principals. Uh, telling me um, that, oh, it must be tiring teaching, you know, so many, the same class, you know, the same class, because you're teaching all these physics one classes, you know, you must be boring, you know, and it's like, uh, definitely not, each class is different, yeah. and how far each class gets to is different, uh, because you never know uh, where you're going, you know, so, yeah. and where you'll end up. And how you get there, and it's all in the journey. Actually, the journey is the most important thing, right? So, how, how do you sure. actually arrive at your final destination? Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. 
It's a great analogy. I, I, I had never heard it, anyone put it that way before, but, but I thought that was really interesting. You're a jazzer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So um, your main focus in the classroom over the years has been in the physics teaching primarily. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you also have helped develop modeling materials for the biology classroom, which is one of the newer disciplines that have been brought into modeling. Yes. Uh, tell us more about your effort there and, and how you see it has grown from its infancy to today. Well, um, Anita Shukart, who is actually a biology education professor now at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, um, mm-hmm. She was the uh, first one um, to mention it to me uh, when we were both teaching at a private school in Pittsburgh um, that was switching from um, a traditional sequence to a freshman physics class. Uh, So freshman physics first, then chemistry, then biology. And we had a theme. We decided that um, energy models would be the theme that connected all three classes together. Mm -hmm. So students would learn energy models in the initial physics class and they would use those same metals in chemistry and then in biology. So all the teachers had to be trained for it, right? Right. And so when she went off and she, she, all the biology teachers actually, who were junior level biology teachers had to start teaching, they had to teach freshman physics actually for two years. <laughs> mm, right. <laughs> because of, they didn't have anything to teach, right? So that they had to teach that. Um, so they went off to Arizona um, and, uh, uh, for one summer for I think the workshop was maybe three weeks at the time at that point mm-hmm. um, Good, yeah and learned physics modeling and when uh, Anita came back and also another biology teacher there named Bill Dill oh and another one named Dudley Parr uh, hmm. they said we really need to look at the biology and it has to be modeling oriented because if you're going to do modeling physics you know modeling chemistry and modeling physics then when the kids go into the biology class and we all of a sudden teach traditionally just but just with energy model representations, it's like, oh, that's not going <laughs> to, it's like, I don't know how that's going to work. And it's true. You know, like what, what happens when you teach these students to improvise and to be thoughtful thinkers and all of a sudden you go into a biology class where it's more traditionally taught? Yeah, it's like, I, you know, they've all said, I'm not sure if we want to teach that. The class because yeah you know traditionally because they would come in expecting that science is taught in a certain way and we wouldn't necessarily be able to do that so um, so Anita was the emphasis behind that actually um, and all two of them were uh, the other two were also and uh, and then I they would constantly bounce ideas off of me and so um, talking about how we would actually write these units and so over the two years they taught physics they started writing um, these really rough units. Um, for biology, for a year-long biology class. Um, and they would try the units out in their advanced biology classes um, that were second-year biology classes at the time and uh, and make revisions. And we talk about how to... Because to, I actually do have an undergraduate degree, I don't know if I mentioned that, um, in biology. So that helped out a lot. Oh, yeah, Although no, I, I didn't hear. Way, way back there to find stuff, but sometimes sure. information, yeah. But... Um, so that helped because it's like, well, how do we actually model like photosynthesis? What, what do we, how do, how do we do this? You know, how would we change this lab that we've been using for years into more of a modeling oriented lab and that sort of thing. So that was the beginnings of it. Um, and at, after that, we actually started doing some biology modeling workshops um, in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. 
uh, for teachers yeah. um, for several years. Um, and Anita uh, decided uh, she wanted to get a PhD. At the time, I already had a PhD. Um, and uh, because of several different reasons, I ended up by going into, um, uh, I, got a, I ended up by getting a postdoc at the University of Pittsburgh and then a, an academic position at Ohio State University. And a math science partnership grant came across my desk application. Um, and I thought, wow, this would be a pretty good idea because one of the things we did with the materials in uh, Pittsburgh were, it'd be really nice if there were more math in biology because we're using all these graphs in chemistry and physics. And usually in biology, kids have a tendency to think biology has no math, which is totally incorrect. Right. Um, and so how do you actually draw out that those mathematical principles into the class, right? So we added a lot of things to try to draw the math out. Um, and I thought, well, this grant might be interesting to use to actually maybe uh, do some more, bring some more people in, look at what was originally done, and then make lots of changes based upon, you know, different ideas for different people. So that's mm-hmm. what we wrote, wrote it and actually got funded um, for three years. Yeah, three years. So it was about... A million and a half, I think, over three wow. years. And then at right. the end, we turned out those documents over to the AMTA. Um, and, um, yeah, so. So that's all available there at the AMTA site, the resources? Uh, they, I, I suspect, well, they should be, but I do know I, they, they uh, <laughs> hire, well, you know, they hired a group of people, um, uh, other biology modeling people, uh to uh, go through the materials and then they made changes to them, that sort of thing. Um, so the stuff that's listed as biology modeling on AMTA is the those materials that were probably like second or third generation from uh-huh. the Ohio State University ones, uh-huh. right? Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's what happened. So it was, it was really fun. I mean, it was, uh, we had a nice group of teachers from Ohio who had been uh, trying to use the biology modeling stuff um, from Shadyside in their classrooms and had already been trained for physics modeling and, and that sort of thing. And um, Anita was there and a uh, professor um, by the name of Zaki uh, Sabri um, at Ohio State University um, was really interested in what we were doing. Um, and so he came on board and, and so we uh, did that. Um, and some mathematician, a mathematician came on board and we uh, worked through lots of different ideas. And, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, uh, about a year ago or so, I interviewed Dr. Shukart. And, um, oh, okay. So any listeners who want to learn more about, hear her talk about biology and math and, and all that integration, mm-hmm. they can go to the Science Modeling Talks wor- uh, website and look up episode 31 and uh, hear her, her talking mm-hmm. about this, too. So that's really cool. <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah. So... Um, I want to talk a little bit about a couple more things with you. One mm-hmm. is you spent quite a bit of time in Kazakhstan, and I would like to, <laughs> that's really interesting to me. Uh, the modelers I've talked to have primarily been uh, U.S. based, mm-hmm. and uh, having an international experience like that is really interesting to me, and I think our our listeners will enjoy hearing about that. Yeah, well, I... Um I moved to Kazakhstan in 2017 uh, because they made mm-hmm. me an offer <laughs> that I 
couldn't turn down actually um, okay. over certain periods of time. And uh, so uh, I went. I taught in the education department um, at the time. Uh, at a university? Yeah, at, at a, a university. Uni- mm-hmm. It's called uh-huh. Nazarbayev University. So it's an okay. English-speaking university in the city, the capital, uh, called uh, Astana. So it's okay. on the high steps. Um, so it's very cold in the wintertime, lots of wind, that kind of thing. Uh, huh. So it was a great opportunity. It was a very interesting opportunity. Um, and uh, I taught uh, education classes. Um and uh, this is this actually it's interesting that you asked me that because uh, this brings me back to the the idea of you know, what is modeling. Uh, we have a tendency to think of modeling just being science oriented. And I remember having a discussion with Hestonies years and years ago, um, and we were talking about how um, I can see as the years progressed, um, I was no longer a teacher of science. I had become more a teacher of thinking. Like in other words, mm. because models are all around us. They're not just science. So we have to have a model of how to use our cell phone if we're going to actually mm. do anything. We have to mm. we have to collect data and figure out how to. You know, it just goes on and on. It's not just um, science ideas. Um, Interesting. So it, at Ohio State University, I taught a lot of uh, STEM majors uh, who were going into education. Right. Um, you know, more science methods kind of classes, assessment classes, and that sort of thing. And in all cases, I always brought in those same ideas of how you, you know, the jazz improvisation and and the whole idea about how you um, think, right? And how you talk Mm -hmm. to students and how you, how you, uh, how you move forth um, in the classroom, whether it was the elementary students or with high school students, you know, um, that they might be teaching in the future. And so when I went to Kazakhstan, um, uh, one of the reasons why I went was because uh, they they had a not, they had a lot of uh, funds for research um, uh, available, um, and they were interested in putting some things in place that would last over um, an extended period of time. Right hmm. here in the United States, you mentioned that modeling ran out of funding, right? And and they had right. several different grants, right? Because you have to change the grant every time you apply to National Science Foundation, right, or DOE, right? Um, because it can't be the same thing, you know. Even right. if it works, right. we can't we can't put more money into it because we know it works, which we think makes no sense whatsoever. But but anyway, so in Kazakhstan, they were interested in trying to uh, build an educational program that allowed. Uh, teachers who had been taught in a Russian Soviet mentality um, to become thinkers and therefore get their students to become thinkers because uh, Kazakhstan's a republic. It, it would like, you know, to become more um, open and, but you have to have people who know how to talk and how to think and, and act, not just, you know, listen to what's happening and not just do what you tell me to do. Um, so, right. uh, and, and they also needed more people, who were Kazakhs in the STEM fields because Kazakhstan is very rich in um, all kinds of minerals and, you know, and they, and they didn't have enough people going into the STEM fields and they were constantly bringing people in from outside the country to, to do that. Right. Um, so that's, so, so they said, you know, come and um, help us build this graduate uh, department in this university, um, uh, which, Start has a PhD program um, and also a master's degree programs um, in uh, educational leadership um, and also do research um, in in STEM. So uh, 
what I ended up by doing was uh, they wanted to start they, they asked me like when would be the best time to actually get students interested in STEM you know middle you know lower secondary or upper secondary and my comment was the best place to start would be elementary actually you know because yeah. you really got to get them hooked then um, because you know uh, so that as they move through, they can continue to, you know. So that's where we started. We started with uh, STEM research in the um, um, elementary school. Uh, yeah. So it was uh, modeling-based science units uh, where the kids collected data and tried to come up with a model. Uh, obviously, not all the representations that high school does, um, but it also had an engineering theme in it. So everything, the unit had units were focused on... Um, uh, engineering practices. So the students were given a problem that had to be engineering oriented. And then they had, as they were going through and trying to do that project, they realized they needed some science knowledge. And so therefore they had to become scientists, right? Um, to right. get that understanding and information that they needed for like friction or whatever to build this wind turbine they might be finishing with. Um, so uh, we had just finished that. We haven't published, well, we have some conference papers on that, but uh, we still have a lot of data we have to go through. And then at the NU area, we also started working on the um, undergraduate uh, engineering program and making it more project-based, um, more inquiry-oriented, uh, um, more modeling. That was the, that was the, that was where we were going. And then COVID came and uh, kind of scattered everybody to the winds and, you know, so even in high school, I wasn't just a teacher of science. I was a teacher of having kids learn how to think. Um, and so all the modeling practices that I had been using all along, I ended up by putting them into place in, in classrooms at Ohio State and also then in Kazakhstan about how do you actually teach, um, you know, curriculum development and how do you teach uh, assessment to teachers um, who have never done that before. And you know, what kind of model do you build on how you go about uh, uh, putting that into place and doing that in the steps along the journey kind of thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. How did the folks you were working with in Kazakhstan, how did they respond to modeling as you brought that to them? Um, they uh, were very uh, open to it. Um, yeah. I've never seen a country where the people are so uh, patriotic, actually. I mean, huh. because everything they do, um, they're constantly thinking about how, are, how, how is this going to improve Kazakhstan? How is this going to improve our students' education so that we can improve Kazakhstan? You know, become self-sufficient, become you know, more democratic, become, you know, become yeah. so it's uh it, it was uh yeah it was a uh, interesting because they were very focused they were very determined uh, uh they were great students to work with um you know because here in the united states i think we have a tendency sometimes to take for granted what we have available to us mm. we take granted for granted our 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 ability to go to university our ability to um you know, our democracy, you know, we just take a grant, we take for granted so many things um, that it will always be there, right? Um, sure. And in Kazakhstan, it has not always been there, right? Mm. Uh, you, you, only the highest of the high in high school would be able to go to college back in the day, right? So it's, it, you know, and the fledgling country 
used to be very autocratic, and it, and it still was. It, was. it was a republic, and it had this one president for 30 years, but they constantly were trying to make it more and more um, open, you know, and, and uh, wanting to hear the people's voices. And so it was a, it was a, it was a interesting experiment. It was, it was, a, and it was, it's inter, interesting experiment and also an interesting experience um, because uh, it was interesting to see kids, for example, like these elementary kids, uh, you go into the classroom and they were trained to be in little rows, right? There wasn't a lot of talking back and forth. And so we had to train the elementary teachers, even how to read in an engaging manner, a storybook we wrote, which is called uh, Cossack Horse Engineers. Huh. And, um, and you know, how, how do you read that to engage the students? Because before they would just read, you know, there'd be no conversation back and forth, you know, nothing like kids, what do you think is going to happen next based upon these ideas? You know, what would you do next? Um, and so it was an interesting yeah, it was very interesting. And, and also to see how the kids really became really engaged in, in that um, ability to uh, talk to each other and to develop their own understanding of things. Um, at the th- and this was at the third grade level. And uh, so so the kids we talked to for pre-interviews were totally different than the kids we talked to in the after interview, the post-interviews. Um, interesting. They were, uh, you know, before you'd ask them a question, and it'd be like, you know, you answer me. <laughs> what's your answer? <laughs> what's your answer? And afterwards, you would ask them a question. And it was like several of them would just start talking to you. You know, it's like, okay, well, one at a time. You know, let's, let's go through this one at a time. Um, yeah. But how long were you in Kazakhstan? When did you, when did you come back to the U.S.? Uh, June of 2022. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've only been back here for a year or so. So you were there for five years. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I spent some large chunks of time here in the United States uh, for COVID because I'd, I'd get here and then plane travel would delay. Yeah. And so it would be extended. You know, so I'd be teaching online here in the United States in Kazakhstan so till I could get a flight back and that kind of stuff. So. Okay. Now, you've done so a lot of research in education. And were you doing it at while you were in Kazakhstan as well? Or was that primarily before you went there? Or tell me a little bit about your research journey. Yeah, the, um, the research journey was interesting because I was a, um, like a high school teacher, right? I had a PhD already. Um, and someone told me, suggested that I applied to the Einstein program, Einstein Fellowship Program, with the National mm-hmm. Science Foundation. Well, with well, with the New York Department of Energy. I mean, education. And um, I ended up applying, and I was accepted, and I uh, got a posting at the National Science Foundation. This was when? This was in 2012. Okay. Okay. 2012 yeah. to 2013. Well, it was a year and a half. I was there. Um, and I was posted to a program in NSF called um, uh, DRK-12, which was uh, research for K-2 through 12. Okay. Um, and uh, so what I did was I helped set up panels to discuss people's grants that came, grant proposals that came in um, to see which ones we would fund and that kind of stuff, you know, and participated in those discussions with the other um, uh, project managers on the team to decide which who got funded, who didn't get funded, that sort of thing. Um, and after about a year of that, I, I realized that I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back um, to high school because 
I saw all these these opportunities people had to do research, right? And I'm thinking, I, I think that might be where I want to, to go because mm. there was such a lack of research in modeling instruction, huh. right? Right. Um, and, and teachers had always asked me that. It's like, oh, okay, well, the only research we had was the stuff that Hestes and Malcolm Wells had done at that point in time, right, back in the day, uh, to support what you're doing in your classroom, right? Because I know when I was teaching in the private school in Pittsburgh, uh, they were constantly asking, well, how do you know this is successful? That sort of thing. So we collected our own data um, uh, during that transition. Um to show them that, yes, look, this data is showing that it's, you know, um, working, right? And um, Anita and I actually just finally published an article based upon that data just recently, like a few months ago, it got published. Um, and it's open access so that you can actually, any teacher or anybody can download it and read it, right? Where do they go to, where would one go to well, get that? Well, the easiest thing would be to probably go to my ResearchGate profile. And you would see it. Okay. It's listed there. It's, it's a longitudinal study because we had data from, you know, physics, chemistry, and biology. So it was over the course of three years. Um, so, or they could email me and I could um, send it to them. But um, so what I wanted to do was I thought, well, let me go to the university level and see if I can actually do some research uh, that would be more up to date um, for uh, teachers to see, you know, that, that modeling um, does indeed work. Uh, what are the advantages of modeling, right? I mean, my PhD was also in modeling and I published an article from it um, years ago in the Physics Education Research Journal, uh, PER. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and so it was like, well, there, there really needs to be more more out there, right? Um, for teachers to be able to get a hold to, um, to show to, to administrators, to, uh, to prove that yes, it looks like it does work, at least in other contexts, so maybe we should give it a try here. Um, you know, um, yeah. So that's the reason why I ended up by going into uh, a job that allowed me to do research. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. So, in all the research you've done, can you tell us what you think is the most important thing that you learned, or you uncovered, or discovered in your research? What's the big thing that you want to share with people? Well. You know, modeling instruction, um, you know, because we've done research in physics and also in biology, okay? Mm -hmm. um, haven't really done too much in chemistry except for that one longitudinal study. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, no matter what context it's in or discipline you're in, um, the effects on students are huge. Um, and that's the takeaway, whether they're just learning how to speak English, because uh, we did one study in a uh, uh, class that was uh, uh, for ELAs, right? Um, mm -hmm. And no matter if it's in that class or any class, they it, it, you outperform, um, students outperform traditionally taught students, even English-speaking students. So if you are learning how to speak English, English is a second language, and you're introduced to modeling, you do, our research is showing, on par with your English-speaking compatriots using traditional Wow. That's methods. fascinating. I had not heard that piece of information before about yeah. modeling. That's really yeah, so, fascinating. And, and, and like I said, it's not just science. It's, 
in all disciplines. Every discipline can use modeling pedagogy. Um, yeah. Uh, to have similar changes happen to their students, right? So they become thinkers yeah. and can actually use data and information and make sense of the world. Wow. It's cool. It's very cool. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting that the idea of these representations that students use and how they link them back together uh, can make sense for students, even ones who are just not learning English, because you have so many different representations you can use. One of them clicks with you, right? And you can see those, those, then you can actually start seeing the connections across all of them. So I know you've done uh, research in the area of cognitive and metacognitive benefits of modeling. Yes. And I assume part of that is what you were just talking about a little bit. Yes. Or? Yeah. Yeah, because that's what you're actually changing. You're actually changing how they think about things, right? Uh, my PhD research, actually, um, I, I, we weren't sure if we would see any changes. What we did was we actually had students do um, uh, what were called verbal talk aloud protocols. Um, so they mm -hmm. had to actually talk about what they were doing as they were solving problems. Huh. And we did it with modeling students, with AP physics students, and with uh, modeling, uh, non-modeling um, first-year students. So we had modeling first-year students, non-modeling first-year students, yeah, and then AP students. So these were second-year students, right? Um, both modeling and a non-modeling group. Uh, and it was quite interesting how the approach was totally different. I was just blown out of the water personally because I was not sure if any of this was going to work and neither was because my mentors at the time were Bruce Chabai and Bruce Sherwood um, who were big in the physics education research saying we, we were not sure that we would actually see any difference in how people you know, attack problems. But if you follow the idea that uh, you're teaching your students to think and start off with your problem solving with a model in the classroom, like what model would best solve this problem, do you think? You know, And you say, oh, I'm going to start with this model. And then I can have all these different representations that I can use to solve this problem, right? Uh -huh. And if the problem doesn't make sense, then I can go back and use one of the other representations and see if that I still get the same answer, right? In yeah. which case I can say, well, it doesn't make too much sense to me, but at least my model representations are falling in line, right? Yeah. So it makes me a little more confident. So if you model that, model that small model in the classroom, um, I, I was I was really blown away that they actually do it. Yeah, you know, these students yeah. actually did it. Yeah, and these kids were actually randomly picked. Uh, you know, they had to volunteer for the program, but. Uh, they, they were not only my students, they were another modeler students, um, and it, the non-modelers came from two different classrooms. So, so we had two modeling student classrooms, different modeling teachers, mm -hmm. different schools, one public, one private. The non-modelers, we had one private, one public, um, and they were just, uh, yeah, so, so the modelers, no matter who taught them, they went in and they said, Oh, okay, this seems to be a constant acceleration problem to me. So I'm going to start off by doing this. And I purposely built some of the, pro the questions in so that they would get these strange answers, right? They'd be like, th this tall building would be like, you know, so tall, you know. And kids would actually, modeler kids would actually say, Darren, that's a really tall building. That's like 10 football lengths high. Do they even have buildings that tall? You know, and they said, but... 
you know, I think I'll check that. So they would go back and they would do another way, right? They would solve it a different way. They said, well, the answer comes out the same. That still seems to be a really tall building, but I guess I must be right, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas the uh, the non-modelers would get, would they would just start plugging and chugging. You know, it'd be like, oh, what equation can I use? So they only, they fell into the classic yeah. I only have this one representation, and that's algebra, right? And when they got to this really strange problem, uh, at best, maybe 20% of them said something along the lines of, I'm not sure that makes sense. Most of them said, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I got my answer, I'm done. And the 20% that said it didn't make sense, uh, they would think about it, they'd scratch their heads. They maybe would go back and try to replug the problem, the, the numbers back into the equation, you know, and recalculate it out. But it was like, that's about all they did. And they said, oh, okay, well, I don't know. Wow. I did the math right, so it must yeah. be okay. But, um, yeah, so that was that was the most amazing thing I thought about when, because we always ask students at the end in modeling, you know, does that make sense to you? And you can say that in the classroom to your blue in the place, but do they actually carry that forth in their own problem solving? Um, and it seems like uh, they do. So Gosh. again, I guess it's just the devils in the details, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's so such a powerful thing for students. Um, even if they don't really realize it while they're complaining about the class. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. Why are you making me do this? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kathy, we're, we're kind of running mm-hmm. out of time, and I okay. could talk to you. I know I could talk to you another hour or <laughs> two about stuff <laughs> that you've been involved yeah. with. Maybe we'll do another session sometime. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but, gosh, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been uh, a lot of fun. And cool. the hour went by, the time went by very, very quickly. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It goes by, especially when you're talking about something that you're passionate about, you know, yeah. and, and you obviously yeah. are, and it's been a joy. I uh, just, I will post your research gate link on our website and the uh, your email, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. And yeah. then I'm going to also post uh, about Dr. Anita Shukart's uh, interview, so yeah. people want to mm-hmm. check up on that, but... Gosh, this has been really great, and uh, yeah, I, it's been fun. I I wish you the very best, living in paradise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am jealous. Hawaii is such a beautiful place, and uh, so yes, it and is. you're on Hilo, right? Uh, yes, I'm in Pahoa uh, actually, which is a little bit uh, south of Hilo. So okay, it's wow. a little small town. Yeah, about thirty minutes away, forty minutes away. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to say goodbye and say thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, too. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.